are the confidential counsels which Yahuwah gave to Yeshua HaMashiach. Shabbat Shalom under the dome once again. Uh, this is the second part of our evening, of course. We just got through the Hebrew Gospel of Yochanan, chapter 14, and we are moving on now to Revelation, chapter 3. I believe I will be reading from this chapter tonight, so that's, ex that's exciting, and then Rob will be the first to comment on it. So with that, let's get right to it. This is the... Uh, All right, these are the, the confidential counsels. Chapter 3, verse 1. Here we go. And to the messenger of the assembly of Sardis write, Thus says he who has the ruachot of Yahuwah and the seven stars, I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. Therefore, do not sleep, but strengthen that which wants to die. For I have not found your works complete before Yahuwah. And now remember how you have received and heard and established them and do repentance. And if not, I will come upon you like a thief and you will not know at what time I will come. And also your name is heard in Sardis of those who did not soil their garments. And they, they will walk with me in white garments for they are worthy of this. And whosoever overcomes, he will walk in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the scroll of life, and I will confess his name before my father and before his messengers. Whosoever has ears must hear what the Ruach says to the assembly. And to the messenger of the assembly of Philadelphia, write, Thus says the Kadosh and the faithful, He who has the key of David, who opens and no one is able to shut, and who shuts and no one is able to open. I know your works. Look, I gave before you an open door, and no one is able to shut it. For you have little strength, but have kept my word and have not denied my name. Look, I will give that those who are of the company of Hasatan, who say that they are Yahudim while they are not, only deceivers. Look, I am pleased to make that they will come to do supplication at your feet and to acknowledge that I have loved you, because you have kept the word of my hope. So I will keep you from the time of testing, which will come on the earth to test those who dwell on the earth. Look, I will come with haste. Keep what you have, that no one takes your crown. Whosoever overcomes, I will write upon him the name of my Elohim, and the name of the new Yerushalayim the city of my Elohim, which will come from the heavens to the earth, from my Elohim, and also my new name. Whosoever has ears, hear what the Ruach says to the assembly, and to the messenger of the assembly of Laodicea write, Thus says Amen, the faithful witness, the beginning of the creation. I know your works, that you are not cold nor warm. If only you could be cold or warm. But because you are not cold nor warm, because of this, I will spit you from my mouth. Yet you say, I am rich and have sufficient, and there is no need for anything. But you do not know that you are poor and needy. Now, let me give you my counsel, that you buy gold for me, and clothe yourself with white garments, 
and anoint your eyes with oil, that you may be able to see. I discipline those whom I love, so therefore do repentance. Look, I stand before the door and knock on it, and if one will hear my voice and open the door, to this one I will come. Whosoever overcomes, him I will give to sit with me by my throne, like I overcame and sat down with my father by his throne. Whosoever has ears must hear what the Ruach says. All right, handing it over to Rob, take it away. All right. Uh, Noel, I wanted to ask you, do you, do you since there's, there's more or less three assemblies being spoken about, do we want to more or less start with one, with start, Sardis, talk about that one, all three of us, and then start with the next one, all three of us, and then go that way? Or I, I like that, that one better. Let's do yeah. that. Yeah. Let's do it. Yeah, if one of us has a lot of information on, say, Philadelphia, Michael, then it might tie I didn't in. know. <laughs> right. So I'll start with Sardis. I'm going to drop in uh, a Sardis here and uh, start start with that. Okay, so uh, for this assembly here, we what more or less what I wanted to point out on it is the negative things, then which I highlighted in red, the overcomer in blue, and yellow is is what. We should be doing or uh, is told for us to do, and as we see here for the for the assembly of Sardis, you know they are alive, but but they are dead. Uh, he's 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 stating, "Do not sleep. Uh, your works are not complete before Yahweh. You will you will not know at what time I will come." So he's giving you these these markers. Okay, you know this is who who you are. This is what I don't want you to do, and this is this is some of the things that you are are doing. And to overcome these comments, uh, to get to be able to walk in white garments and remain in the scroll of life, your name will be confessed before the Father and his messengers. Well, the reward or what you need to do to be that overcomer is in the yellow. It's it's remember how you had received and heard and established your works. Here we go. We go back to an action, as we were just talking about in Yokanan. You know, establish your works. They, that, that's an action word that is doing something. And, and then on top of that, he also says, do repentance uh, in, in regards to that. So, so the, the, that's this church. You know, they, they are... Alive but dead, they are not doing the works that they know they should have been doing from the beginning. That when they first uh, received and and heard, they just got. I, I don't know if you would. It says, "Do not sleep." So he's referencing that they're sleeping uh, in doing so. So got to stay active I, at this church. My my main key. What I'm walking away with this is you got to stay active. You, once you know the truth. You're alive. Stay active. Don't fall asleep. You know, this, you got you got to be able to uh, walk this out and walk in repentance when you do fall, when you do make the mistakes, and continue. We'll see over and over, and over. Overcomer means overcomer. It, it's continuous. You have to continuously do this. So that that's what I wanted to share on this particular assembly. So with that, I will pass it over to. Michael. Sure, yeah. So 
I just had only three things on Sardis, but uh, I will start on verse 3. So it says, I'll just read the Hebrew. And now remember how you have received and heard and established them and do repentance. And if not, I will come upon you like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come. And I just want to highlight the famous First Thessalonians passage. First Thessalonians 5.2, For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord is coming just like a thief in the night. Not much more to add on that, but I just wanted to cross-reference the thief part. Now, on number four, I have a bunch. So I want, I'm specifically going to talk about the soiling of the garments. So let's let's read it here. And also, your name is heard. So the name is heard in Sardis of those who do not soil their garments. And they, they will walk with me in white garments, for they are worthy of this. So um, I want to talk about the opposite of that, that of soiling your garments. And not in, in the Hebrew, it says for those that did not soil. But um, so three cross-references that really hit home. So uh, Joshua is a, is a, you know, foreshadowing, not, not Joshua in Joshua, but Joshua in Zechariah 3. Zechariah 3. Now Joshua was, was clothed in filthy garments and was standing before the angel. And he responded and said to those who were standing before him, Remove the filthy garments from him. Again he said to them, See, I have taken, taken your guilt away from you and will clothe you with festive robes. Then I say, I have put them a clean headband on his head. So they put the clean headband on his head and clothed him with garments while the angel of the Lord was standing by. Again, Filthy garments, you're put on clean garments. Angel of the Lord. Um, this also reminds me of, of in Matthew when it talks about the king that had a, you know, a wedding reception for his son, and the individual didn't have the proper wedding clothes. So let's read that. Matthew 22, starting with 11. But when the king came in to look over the dinner guests, he saw a man there who was not dressed in wedding clothes. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here about without the wedding clothes? The man was speechless. Again, we need to have the proper garments. We need to remove the soil. Um, and finally, this was definitely spoken about in our wisdom study, the Holy Family, but Enoch 6, starting with verse 6, And all shall rejoice, and there shall be forgiveness of sins, and every mercy and peace and forbearance. There shall be salvation unto them, a goodly light, and for all you sinners there shall be no salvation. But on you all shall abide a curse. But for the elect, there shall be light and joy and peace, and they shall inherit the earth. And then there shall be stowed upon the elect wisdom, and they shall all live and never again sin, even through the ungodliness or through pride. But they who are wise, wisdom, shall be humble. And we made the connection about this is very similar to righteous robes. What we will be wearing is wisdom. We will be born of that spirit. So I just wanted to highlight that part regarding soiling the garments and the opposite effect of being pistol, the, the white, probably white linen wisdom. And then finally, number five, um, I'll read the Hebrew. And whosoever overcomes, he will walk in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the scroll of life, and I will confess his name before my father and before his messengers. Um, I just wanted to read Exodus thirty-two, thirty-two. But now if you forgive their sin, very well. But if not... Please wipe me out of your book, which you have written. However, the Lord said to Moshe, Whosoever has sinned against me, I will wipe him out of the book. This, you know, this is a literal book. You know, he will wipe us out. He will blot us out. We're going to be talking more about that in Laodicea. But, um, you know, in, in the Hebrew wedding model, there's a 
there's a wedding book, right? And you, you, you're either welcome or you're not. And if your name's not written in, you ain't coming in to the wedding supper of the Lamb. Um, that's what I have for this first church, Sardis, and I'll give it off to Noel. It seems like what Sardis was really struggling with was just noises and distractions. Um, what's interesting about verse 2 is that the Greek and the Hebrew reads a little bit differently. They're, they're kind of the same, but they have a different emphasis. So let me just read from the Greek. It says, be watchful and strengthen the things which remain and are ready to die. So I guess they kind of read the same, but let me just go over here to the Hebrew. Therefore, do not sleep. Um, so the other one says, you know, be watchful, which would, you know, would, would be the same thing as not going to sleep. But then it says, but strengthen that which wants to die. And, um, yeah, man, I had a thought on that, and then I just kind of lost, lost it. So let me just, okay, we'll get back to that. Here's one of the, here's another one of the things that again and and Michael already touched on was it First Thessalonians that here we see Yahusha saying and now remember how you have received and heard and established and established them I love the word established I want to get back to that in a second and do and do repentance and if not I will come upon you like a thief and you will not know at what time I will come well here's the thing guys does does the Church of Sardis still exist? Now, if we're going by official history and we go do a Google search, and if you type in uh, the Church of Sardis, you will see uh, pictures of like these big Corinthian pillars and ruins, and the church no longer exists. So, again, if if he didn't, if if Revelation is written to a generation where Yahusha keeps making these threats, like I'm coming, guys, like I'm coming. To a thief, you guys better, you know, get on your A game here because I'm about to come back. He never does, and in fact, you know, two thousand years pass and still hasn't come around. You guys see what I'm coming getting at here? That very clearly, and I don't know why some people really struggle with this, and maybe it's because they love history so much, and you would have to come to the conclusion that there has been a conspiracy to to hide this, but. Again and again and again, we see Yahusha saying, I'm coming back for you guys. Like this generation, guys, I'm coming. Enough said on that. Another th another um, observation I had. Oh, let me just talk on the establishing because he, he says here that he um, that we are to establish them in verse, verse 3. Well, that's how, if you recall last week, how the confidential councils or the book of Revelation starts. That we are to establish this book. So I think that's kind of interesting. Verse 4 can read in two different possible ways. I've been kind of going back and forth on this. And either either he's saying that there are different personalities within this church, or that there appears to have been a big fallout, and that there are some who remained in the church uh, after there was a big soiling going on. Now, the reason I say that is because when we look at these different these seven different churches, we often we often look at it as different personalities. In fact, I said that last week. I said that, you know, very likely each of us listening in are going to identify more with one church or another. And I think there's some truth to that. But let's just read this verse, and then you guys can come up with your own um, um, thoughts on this. And my point is, is that 
if, if there's if there's different people in this church that are kind of taking on these different personas, then you kind of you lose some of that you know that seven personality um, church idea. And he says, and also your name is Herd and Sardis of those, so of those who did not soil their garments. So there are some in this church who did soil their garments, and there are some who did not. So I just think that that's um, interesting to point out because when we get to the next two churches, Philadelphia and Laodicea, it's pretty black and white. Like this one church, Philadelphia, was a really good church to be a part of, and they were a very loving church. And then we all know about Laodicea. We'll get there. I already read it, but we'll talk about it later. You guys know where I'm going with that. But it just seems like if I'm reading this right, that there's some in this, this is kind of a conflicted church. Right, they're they're really struggling to stay awake, and uh, there are some people who you know have soiled their garments. Some people who are staying true, and um, that's all I have on that. Oh yeah, um, just and we keep hammering this out over and over again, Rob, Michael, and I. But it deserves repeating that he who overcomes is the person who repents. Repents of what? Well, obviously a transgression of the law. So. Uh, Back to you, Rob. Okay, yeah, and I and I want to follow up uh, with what you said. There is uh, the the soiling of the garments. Um, it's uh, oh, I lost my note on that. Uh, well, okay, if I come back on it, I'll get it. It happens. It's been happening to me a lot tonight. <laughs> yeah. So I'm following along and I'm making notes and then I move on and, I, and then I change my screens and, I, and then I lost where I had it. So, okay, I'm going to drop in uh, Philadelphia here and we'll, I'll, I'll review that one. So what I, what I got here on Philadelphia is the, the, the only negative thing spoken about in these verses is talking about... Uh, <laughs> is talking about the people of the earth are being tested. I mean, that's, that's really the, the biggest negative thing here. And so it, it's not necessarily uh, talking about Philadelphia doing something negative. It's talking about the earth is being tested here. But, and what we find out is that the actions of Philadelphia are, are doing very well. And we see that the actions that they do do that is being stated is that they 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 are keeping the word it says they're keeping the word and then it also talks about they kept the word of hope they have not denied his name and will be kept from the time of testing of the earth you know so that's a positive they're, they're being kept out of the testing because all the people of the earth are going to be tested but those who are keeping his word the word of hope and and not denying his name uh, will be will be uh, uh, taken care of. He will make the assembly of Hasatan do supplication at at their feet and acknowledge Elohim loves them because of their actions. So the overcomer here will will have written upon them the name of Elohim, the name of New Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Wait, Yerusha Yerushalayim. Okay, Jerusalem, and the new name of Yeshua. So the the people that are overcomers are going to be have a written upon them. 
And I know we, we've read in other places they'd be given a new name, etc. But here it, it specifically says written upon them. And, and whether, whether that be the new or physical marking of his overcomers, of his saints, of his uh, righteous ones, uh, whether that's figurative or what, but that is shown uh, for the overcomer. And uh, lastly on that is that we see uh, this church or this assembly of people are, are once again, uh, it mentions they have little strength. So it, to me, I take that as they're, they're, they're meek, they're poor in spirit, etc., so it, it, it's, the, it's not the ones who appear to be uh, these, I don't know, these high and mighty uh, preachers, um, Pharisees, etc., but uh, those of little strength. They kept the word, and they've been persistent, and they did not deny, deny his name. So that's just my quick overview on this, and I'll pass it along over to Michael. I know he's got some good stuff to share on this. Michael? Yes, sir, I do. Um, so this is, I have a lot of notes on Philadelphia. So um, I'm going to start on number seven. So, and to the messenger of the assembly of Philadelphia, thus says the Kodesh and faithful, he who has the key of Dawid, who opens and no one is able to shut, and who shuts and no one is able to open. Um, I'm going to take you to Isaiah 22, 22. Then I will put the key of the house of David on his shoulder. When he opens, no one will shut. When he shuts, no one will open. Um, this also reminds me of the wise versions, which I talked about last week. And I want to read that, or at least part of it. So Matthew 25, 10. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, we need to have the oil at his coming. The groom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding feast. And the door was shut. Yet later, the other virgins came, also came, saying, Lord, Lord, open for us. Um, these... You know, it's the people that are not allowed in that needed to buy more oil, the unwise virgins, and we know what wisdom is. Um, and last week we read in Revelation or Confidential Councils 117, this is all on number seven still, when I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man, and he placed his right hand on me, saying, do not be afraid, I am the first and the last and the living one, and I was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and of Hades. So I just, again, want to point out that Yeshua has the keys of both. Um, he has the keys of death in Hades in the previous ch chapters, and now he has the key of David. Um, that's awesome. Uh, number eight. Um, Rob kind of hit on it, but let's, uh, let's read it. So I know your works. Look, I gave before you an open door. No one is able to shut it. For you have little strength, but you have kept my word and have not denied my name. I want to also focus on the little strength part. Um, so we'll get to it eventually, but they're saved from the hour of trial, yet at his coming had little strength. So what are they talking about? Like literally muscles? Literally they were just weaklings? Um, I take it, again, and we talked about it in the John passage, that they were serving. They were loving their brothers so much, a.k.a. that's what Philadelphia means, that they were so spent at his coming. They, they weren't worried about storing up treasures on the earth. They were literally serving others and were so spent and, and weak at his coming. And to me, that's amazing. So we, like I said, we talked about being servants earlier. That, that's who will be the highest in the kingdom. Um, number nine, look, I will give that those who are the company of Hasatan, 
who say that they are Yehudim, while they are not, only deceivers. Look, I am pleased to make that they will come to do supplication at your feet and to acknowledge that I have loved you. Um, this is just a simple cross-reference. Isaiah 49, 23. Kings will be your guardians and their princesses your nurses. They will bow down to you with their faces to the ground and lick the dust from your feet. And you will know that I am the Lord. Those who peacefully wait for me will not be put to shame. Um, so I just want to say that, you know, the cross-reference is the synagogue of Satan. And in this Isaiah chapter, they will be, their faces will be to the ground. They will lick the dust. Okay, now it's getting interesting here, guys. So number 10, I want to focus on the Greek first. So because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I will also keep thee from the hour of temptation which come upon all the world to try and dwell them upon the earth. Now, I, like I said, like I said last week, I did a whole two-hour study on this, Philadelphia and all the seven churches. But um, that word testing, that word testing is the same word um, that is found in Hebrews 3.8. And I'm, I'm going to read Hebrews 3.8. Harden not your hearts, as in the provocation, in the day of temptation in the wilderness. This is quoting Psalms 95.8. Let's read that. Harden not your heart, as in the provocation, and as in the day of temptation in the wilderness, when your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my work. This is referencing Exodus 17. So, you know, everybody talks about the second Exodus and all that kind of stuff and during the tribulation. Philadelphia is safe from that. So I always like to, to say, you know, Revelation primarily talks about escaping Babylon. Right. Um, it doesn't say escape Egypt because that's when the Exodus happened. This is escaping Babylon. But it appears that Philadelphia did that while the other multitude has to have that second Exodus. There's, they still have things wrong with them. So Exodus 17, they left the wilderness of sin. They were crying about no water, what they had in, in Egypt. You know, they're, they're the stake and the leeks. Um, the Rock of Horeb was during that. And then also Amalek appeared in the same chapter. Joshua fought Amalek. To me, that, that describes the tribulation where Philadelphia is secured. They're saved from that. The rest have to go through their tribulation, go through their exodus. And what do you know? And they're going to be crying about it throughout the whole time. They're not going to like it. They weren't refining themselves now. And Amalek, Joshua fought Amalek. Do, do these beings appear at the end or if we're post-mail did it already happen um okay so number 12 let's see okay um whosoever overcomes i will write upon him the name of my elohim and the name of the jerusalem the city of my elohim which will come from the heavens to the earth for my elohim um real quick i just want to you know this is where i got my screen name from so i was brings to light a while ago but now i'm michael 1380 and if you type in just you Google 1,380 and then miles, you get some people's calculation of the New Jerusalem. So that's where I got the, the number from. So some people say it's around 1,380 miles. Okay, so now some more on Philadelphia. Um, like I said, I did a whole study. It, it's, it's, this is my opinion that, that the different synoptic gospels are speaking to different kinds of believers. And Lucas to the setup part. Lucas to Philadelphia. Um, just some examples of that is is um, you know Matthew and Mark when Yeshua was on the cross, he's saying 
you know, I, I forgot the Hebrew, but he's saying, why are you, why have you forsaken me? You know, and if you look at that word forsaken, it means left behind. But in, in, in Luke, it doesn't say that. Luke, Luke totally does not say that. It, it goes a few sentences below her in the same Psalm. And, and it says something to the effect of, you know, um, I forgot what it says, but it's basically like, place me alongside of you. So Matthew and Mark are, they're, 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 they're crying out, why have you forsaken me? Um, Luke is saying, place alongside. The, the other two things in Luke is what Yeshua was wearing. If you read that we're all speaking Greek here, Matthew, it's, it's purple and Mark, it's scarlet. Herod placed on him a robe before he was crucified. But in Luke, it says it was gorgeous or another word is white, almost like a bride. So why, again, why is Luke separate? Um, this is totally different color than purple and scarlet. Wouldn't you know that's what's in the tribulation and revelation is purple and scarlet beast. Why is, why is Luke speaking about a, a gorgeous robe or a, or a white bright color. And then finally, when, when Yeshua gets resurrected and before he goes back to the Father and, Ma, and Mark, his spirit was received up, received back up to the Father. Received, received, you received guests at a wedding. Um, in Luke, his spirit was carried up. You carry the bride in the wedding over the tabernacle. So those are just some things that I, I've come to in my research. Um, and a couple more things. So Isaiah 66, um, before she travailed, she brought forth, before her pain came, she delivered a man-child who has searched of the thing, who has seen such a thing. Shall the earth be bring forth in one day, or shall a nation be born at once? For as soon as Zion travailed, she brought forth her children. So there's multiple. It's not just Yeshua. It's not just the man-child. It's her children. And I just want to highlight that this is before the birth pains. Who is this? This is before the birth pains. Um, and, you know, in, we, we've talked about this before where, you know, it appears the whole Bible is talking about getting us back into the garden to tabernacle with him. What was his punishment? It was birth pains. So it, it appears he's going to renew his new creation before the birth pains happen. And it, it's truly remarkable. Um, Isaiah 26 talks about a resurrection post birth pains. That would be the multitude, in my opinion. Um, and then finally, this is the last part I have on Philadelphia. I hope you guys are following me. Um, so I've been talking about my seven studies, um, you know, seven spirits, wisdom, set apart spirits, seven days in the week. Shabbat is a set apart day. Um, Enoch was seventh for an Adam. What happened to him? But uh, Revelation 7, we'll get to it eventually, talks about the 144,000. What does that mean? Um, it's, it's the set apart. So and Philip, there's seven deacons in the New Testament. Philip is the set-apart deacon, in my opinion. So Acts 8, 39, when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord caught away Philip, that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip was found in Azotus, and passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. Then the spirit said unto the Philip, go near and join thyself to this chariot. So a few things. Philip literally means lover of horses. 144,000 ride on horses, and they are an army. And they are in, in the Old Testament, you who had numbered his people in the Old Testament going off to war, right? Ezekiel 37:10. So I, and this is the famous dry bones. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into me. And they lived and stood upon their feet, an exceeding great army. In my opinion, this is talking about the 144,000. Um, and then just a little funny nugget when I was doing the study, I felt the Father speaking to me. Um, I did some research on Ashdod, which was the city where Philip was 
harpazoed or raptured. Why? Because he listened to what the Spirit said, and which is what all these churches are supposed to do, and he was raptured. He was harpazoed, and he's going to be secure. And it just so happens Philip and Philadelphia are very similar. But the, the, the thing that the Father kind of validated with me was I did some research on Ashdod and the city, and its sister city is Tampa, and that's where I was from. And I thought, I was like, wow, the Father's really, really giving me some nuggets there. I know that was a lot. Hopefully you guys enjoyed that. That's what I got on Philadelphia. That was really epic and uh, <laughs> quite the act to follow, Michael. Thank you. That was uh, really good. So I only have a few things on this that can be anything different from what you guys had already spoken about. I'm like sitting here crossing things off like, oh, oh he's talking about that too. But um, all right. so. We see that the the Yahudim are suppressing them here. Now, this isn't the first time we saw in in the last week where we saw those who call themselves the Yahudim but are not, but are here. It says deceivers or the company of Hasatan. This is the the passage where in the Greek in verse nine it says the synagogue of Satan, and but here it says the company of Hasatan, which. By the way, I actually like better. It's a little bit more descriptive because a lot of people are like, well, what is what is the synagogue of, of Satan? But here it's just saying they're, they keep company with Hasatan, or maybe a better way to say that is he keeps company with them. But I was really thinking a lot about this. Like, why is it here that that there is, as as Michael pointed out, that like, you know, they're going to be like licking their boots or whatever. You know, like this is they're going to be doing supplication at their feet and acknowledging that Yahuwah, or in this case, I guess, Yahusha had loved them. And this is the church that doesn't really get any um, uh, uh, scolding from Yahusha. And we read later on, well, who, is, who is Satan at war with? He's at war with those who uh, keep the Father's commands and the testimony of Yahusha. That's who he's at war with. So it makes sense here that there is such a reversal that he's t saying, look, guys, like, yeah, they're at war with you right now. That This church, whatever was happening, like they were getting pummeled um, by the by those who were in the company of Hasatan. And, you know, he's he's turning around here like, look, it, it just just hang in there, hang in there. And they're going to be, you know, they're going to be licking your boots before this is over. A couple other things. In verse 11, we see once again, he says, look, I will come with haste. Keep what you have that no one takes your crown. So again, he's telling them, I'm coming to you guys with haste, not to another generation, right? This, this church, again, is no more. If you do a web search on this, according to the official narrative, you know, you... <laughs> And you know maybe yeah that's a whole other thing but according you know according to any Google search you go looking at it, it's no longer there so did he come with haste or did he not is this an empty promise and I'm saying it was a fulfilled promise that he came with haste to this church and um, you know he delivered some of them and one last thing I want to point out this is on verse twelve and uh, neither Robert Michael um, mentioned this in the Greek. Now I need to back this up because there are people that's going to they're going to listen to this on YouTube land and they're not going to know what I'm talking about. But I have been trying really hard to understand this concept of uh, what does it mean to be a you know my body is a temple. Uh, 
And for more importantly, because I, I'm a big believer that if you, you, you don't necessarily just introduce new concepts into the New Testament. And one of the things we've been seeing with the Hebrew, um, the Hebrew Gospels, Hebrew Revelation, is that they're not introducing new concepts. They're just taking the same concepts from the Old Testament and continuing them on. It's just a continued story. They're not introducing new things. And so why, why don't I look through the Old Testament and see the patriarchs and the psalmist and, and Moses talking about how we are the temple of of Elohim. So here in the Greek, it says, verse 12, he that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my Elohim, and he shall go no more out. Well, guess what, guys? That's not in the Hebrew. It never once says that uh, he's going to make us a pillar in the temple of my Elohim. And for some of us, pillars have certain connotations. I don't want to take anything out of context. But that's another one I'm kind of checking off. Like, boom, there's another passage that is missing from the Hebrew about the temple. And by the way, if we, if we circumnavigate Shaul or Paul, his 13 epistles, which if you do any web search on uh, that, you know, my body is a temple, it's going to come up. Paul, 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 Paul. And then they'll throw in like one from Psalms and you go look that up and it doesn't say anything about that, but they just throw that in there. And then, you know, there's one from, uh, I think, second, first or second Peter. And then there's this, but this is gone now. I would love to read first or second Peter in Hebrew. Um, but anyways, all that to say, that's just another one I'm checking off and in this investigation and trying to figure out, is this a... Uh, is this a concept that was introduced more by Greek thinking? I mean, was this Hebrew thinking? I don't know. I'll let you guys decide that. Anyways, we're going to move on. And uh, I guess, Rob, I'll hand it back over to you, even though um, I don't know if I should hand it back over to Michael tonight uh, to, uh, you know, to kind of to, to freshen it up. But you know what, Rob, take it away. I don't mind, Michael, if you want to speak on the next uh, assembly, or do you want me to do what I've been doing? Uh, go for it. Yeah. Okay. All right. I'll drop it in there. Okay. The the next assembly here, <clears throat> Laodos, La Laodicea, uh, what I'm going to point out uh, on this one, the, the negative things that are being spoken about on... Uh, this particular assembly that's being addressed is, you know, they're being they're being told they're they're not cold nor warm, and they will be spit out as we've read these verses before. Uh, <clears throat> they're also being told that they say, "I am rich and have sufficient, and there is no need for anything." So these are indicators of the type of people. That we see, such as the wealthy, the, the those that are good off, uh, you know, good as far as um, financial support means, and they are in need of really not much of anything, and with and because of that, they have become, you know, lukewarm, as it is said. So there's very little that is being done. Um, by them because their comforts and their needs are, are being taken care of. So there is no reliance upon the Father. Their reliance has come from their own, uh, their own production, so to speak. So that the overcomer in this assembly, uh, they will get to sit 
with him by his throne. They were going to sit with Yeshua by his throne. And the positive points that are being spoken about for them is they need to buy <clears throat> they need to buy gold from from him and clothe themselves with white garments and anoint their eyes with oil that they may be able to see. Because Yeshua or Yahuwah disciplines those whom whom he loves. So just like any parent who has children they love, they're going to discipline them for they know what is best for them and they know that this child needs to learn not to be continuing in that type of behavior. So the discipline will come. So he said he states that we, we obviously should be repenting uh, and hearing and acting upon his word. So the things that are being done that are uh, transgression of the, of the Torah, we need to repent from. We need to act, act upon his words as we've been reading and do them. You know, as we continually state in reading the, the scriptures is there is actions that we are to do. Once we come to the knowledge and accept it, then there is now, it, it's on us. Okay, now that we know what we should do, now that we know what is truth, what are we going to do with it? Are we going to toss it in the trash can? Or are we going to act upon it? And acting upon it is the proof. That action is the, quote, second witness to what, what you believe. And so, hence, you are producing fruit from that, from those actions that can be, that are manifest, that others can see and or experience. So, uh, what I also want to point out is that they don't, these, the, the people in this assembly don't know that they are poor and needy, even though they are well off. Uh, obviously, as I mentioned, that they, they, they're relying on themselves and their own, their own finances, etc., what they have. But it's interesting that he says, buy gold from me. Clothe yourself with white garments. Anoint your eyes with oil. And I hope uh, Michael has some good references on these. I know we've talked about these before. I, didn't, I don't have them in front of me, so I don't want to speak too deeply on them. Uh, but, oh, he does good. Uh, because there are some great uh, analogies of what this means, of the buying the gold and the anointing your eyes with oil. All these things mean, mean something that we should be doing. It doesn't literally mean anoint your eyes with oil. But there is a reference to what he is stating here uh, that we should be doing on, on these. So I'll let Michael talk of that since I, I definitely don't have that in front of me. Um, and lastly, uh, it, once again, it goes here. The one, who, the one will hear my voice and open the door. Once again, it goes back to action. You hear, you believe, you understand, you get the knowledge. Now you got to act upon it. you got to open the door. So, with that being said, I will pass it over to Michael for further. All right. I do have a lot on this one as well. And then I'm going to summarize. Um, I'm going to start off with 15. So, let's read the Hebrew. Um, I know your works, that you are cold nor warm. If only you could be cold or warm. Um, wait, that wasn't it. Hold on. Oh, it's number 16. But because you are not cold nor warm, because of this, I will spit you from my mouth. 
So if you've been following me along, you know I love cross-references. This is probably a top three cross-reference that I've come across. So Leviticus 20.22. You are therefore to keep all my statutes and all my ordinances and do them, so that the land to which I am bringing you to live will not vomit you out. That's amazing. That's amazing. We we are headed towards the land, the New Jerusalem. The, but it's saying that that land will vomit you out if you don't keep his statutes, ordinances. So Leviticus twenty twenty two, um, he doesn't want you to be lukewarm. You you got to pick a side, and that land will vomit you out. Um, number seventeen. I want to read both. Because thou sayest, I am rich, and increase with goods, and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. He, in the Hebrew, yet you say, I am rich, and have sufficient, and there is no need for anything. But you do not know that you are poor and needy. just want to notate, the Greek has more adjectives, wretched, miserable, and naked, what the Hebrew doesn't. I was doing a little bit of research on Lady Osea, um, at least according to scholars. They were known for banking, wool, and medicine. Notably, they came up with an eye solve. Eye salve, and that's that. It kind of ex- shows the blindness. So Yeshua was talking to them, kind of like what they their their human mind came up with. Um, that they are blind, even though they came up with these this awesome medicine. Um, number eighteen. Let's see. I'm going to read both. I counsel thee to buy me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich and white raiment, that they mayest be clothed. And that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thy eyes with eye salve. Oh, there it is. That thou may seest. And in the Hebrew, now let me give you my counsel that you buy gold from me, and clothe yourself with white garments. We already talked about the white garments, not the soiled. And announce your eyes with oil that you may be able to see. Um, I'm going back to it. The the unwise virgins, um, Lady Osea, is the is the church that had to go buy oil. So I advise to you to buy from me gold refined by fire so you become rich in white garments okay i already read that to you so and and this is the matthew verse the wise virgin and while they went to buy the oil same thing the bridegroom came and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding the wedding and the door was shut afterward the other virgins came and said lord lord open to us but he answered and said assuredly i say to you i do not know you matthew 7 watch therefore for you neither know the day or the hour in which the son of man is coming because he comes like a thief. So these guys weren't ready, and they needed to go buy oil, refined by fire. And now, as Rob said, I'm going to be talking about that now, the three cross-references. Job, Job 23.10. But he knew, he who knows the way I take, when he has put me to the test, I will come out as gold. Testing equals refinement. Corinthians 3.11. For no one can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Yeshua HaMashiach. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become evident, for the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire, and the fire itself will test the quality of each one's work. If anyone's work, which he has built on it, remains, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet only so as through fire. Fire equals refinement. Um... You refine silver and you see yourself in the metal. And that's what that's what the Father and Yeshua want to see in us. They want to see them in us. We have to refine ourselves. Last one, 1 Peter 1, 6. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, 
being more precious than gold, which perishes through the tested by fire, may be found to result in praise, glory, honor at the revelation of Yeshua HaMashiach. Trials are proof of our faith if we come, if we are refining ourselves through that. We are tested by fire. Um, a few more. Number 19. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Hebrew. I discipline those whom I love, so therefore do repentance. Um, I want to talk about the dis the difference between, and I'm asking the question here. Everyone claims to be the father of the Most High. A father disciplines his children. I love it, 100%. But what about the differences of those who are just running amok and sinning, and as a result have hardships because they're, they are not doing the Torah? So that's the huge difference. Not everybody's a child of the Most High, spiritually speaking. Um, it's For me, It's you're always going back to him. You have these trials, you're refining yourself, you always get closer to him. Instead of running amok in the world and sinning, and you have hardships. That's not the same, in my opinion, as a father refining his children. I guess you would say that's their father is the devil. Um, number 20, let's see, read the Hebrew. Look, I stand before the door and knock on it. And if one will hear my voice and open the door, to this one I will come with him. I just want to point out that well, I'll read it. In the Greek, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him, and I will sup with him, and he with me. A lot of people say that's dinner. He, he's going to have dinner with us. Uh, marriage supper of the Lamb, maybe. In the Hebrew, it doesn't say that, so it's interesting. Like I, I've said in earlier, or last week, I'm not going to read ahead on the Revelation, so I'll be interesting to see what it says about the marriage supper of the Lamb and eating. But uh, in the Greek, it does say he will sup with him. He'll have dinner with us. Um, 21, uh, let's see, whosoever overcomes him, I will give to sit with me by my throne. He has a throne. Like I overcame and sat down with my father by his throne, two separate thrones. Um, I want to talk about Revelation 22. Rob and I brought this up in our wisdom study, and he showed me a river of water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God or Elohim. End of the Lamb. In the middle of a street, on either side of the river, was the tree of life, bearing twelve kinds of fruit, yielding fruit every month. The leaves of the trees were from the healing of the nations. They were no longer be any curse, and the throne of God, or Elohim, and of the Lamb, will be in on it. And his bondservants will serve him. Again, throne of Elohim, throne of the Lamb. It links right here with this church. I want to also point out in Wisdom of Solomon 9.4, Give me wisdom that sitteth by thy throne, and reject me not from among thy children. Wisdom is at this throne. It, she's part of the, the throne of Elohim and of the Lamb. So I thought that was an amazing tie-in, that they're separate, the son, the son of the Father is separate, and wisdom is by the Father, sitting on that throne. Okay, guys, so now I'm going to summarize. This is going to be good stuff here. So we, we, we went through all the churches, um, but I want to talk about all the seven churches as a whole, while reading the infamous Matthew 24 tribulation verse. Um, now, you know, in, on the server, we talk about a possible post-mill. So whether this has happened already or in the future, there's a, I just want to point out that there's a definitive link between these churches, believers, and this famous passage. So, so everybody knows this, but Matthew 24. All right, then they will deliver you to tribulation and will kill you. In my opinion, this is Smyrna. Fear none of these things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that ye may be tried, and you shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death. 
Okay, I'm linking Smyrna to the first part of this tribulation. And I will give thee a crown of life. Okay, the next, now we're back to Matthew. And you will be hated by all nations because of my name. At that time, many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and mislead many. It wasn't in the Hebrew, but Ephesus and the Greek. Revelation 2.2, 2, I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience, and how thou canst bear them, which are evil, and thou hast tried them, which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars. I'm linking Ephesus with this part of Matthew 24, Tribulation. Um, okay, number 12, because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold. That's Ephesus again, Revelation 2.4. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Your love's grown cold. Again, emphasis. Number 13, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. That's what Thyatira says, Revelation 2.26. And he that overcometh and keep my works until the end, to him I will give him power over the nations. That's my opinion. Um, this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. Revelation 14.6, this is Philadelphia. And I saw an angel find in the midst of the heaven, have heard the everlasting gospel to the preach, unto them that dwell on the earth, and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people. Um, this is, to me, that's Philadelphia. So they're the ones who are preaching the, um, the gospel to the nations. That's all I got, guys. What a great revelation passage and study. Uh, Noel, up to you. Well, once again, Michael, that was epic. Uh, <laughs> um, I, I should have said that with more enthusiasm, but it, it truly was. And when we get to the the trumpets, this actually occurred to me a couple years ago. I remember I was sitting down at the table, and I, I hadn't, you know, researched Tartaria, the mud flood. I wasn't a uh, you know, post mill guy or anything like that. But I remember sitting there and I was reading uh, Yahusha's um, sermon and, you know, going through all these events that would happen in either this or that generation, take your pick. And I went and I, and I was, I was under the impression that he was speaking to that generation. And, you know, we'll, we'll go over this in another study about how, you know, People weren't standing there who wouldn't taste death and so on and so forth before all those things were fulfilled. But I overlaid what he did, what he said would happen with the the trumpets in Revelation. And I was like, oh, it would just it just laid it over. It was perfect. It just was a perfect order. And so that was really great what you did with the seven churches. Um, that was spot on. And um, man, I guys, I think we're like, we're like, we're hammering this out. This is really good stuff. So there's just a couple more things I want to point out from a line-by-line -line perspective here. And before we close, I don't know if, Rob or Michael, you guys noticed that the the Church of Laodicea in the Greek, when he's talking about, well, let me just see where, let me just go over here. He says, he, the word nakedness is used, and this is in verse 18. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich. And white raiment that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. So in the Hebrew, it doesn't say the line, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. So I know I've I've spoken for a long time, and I said this idea that Laodicea is naked, but in the Hebrew they're not naked. And the the reason I think why this is is because nakedness to the Hebrew culture and to the Greek culture, have two very different connotations. Um, to the 
to the Greek culture, they they you know they would they would go to the gym naked. They would play sports naked. In fact, this was one of the big issues in First Maccabees when they're putting in gyms and other sporting arenas and things in Jerusalem. And you know this is that's a that's a it created abominations and all sorts of different things. In Hebrew culture, so you could you could say now. Keep in mind, the Greek there says the shame of thy nakedness. It is a shame. It doesn't it doesn't say it's necessarily sin. I guess that's up for definition to be you know whether you're naked or not. But in the Hebrew culture, the idea of nakedness has the connotation of sexual activity. Um, so when we read through the Torah, you're going to see multiple laws there saying, uh, "Do not uncover." thy sister's nakedness. Do not uncover thy father's wife's nakedness. You know, do not uncover, you know, blah, blah, blah. You know, the, it, and, and the idea of uncovering nakedness in all those um, passages have to do with saying, like, don't have sex with your mother. Don't have sex with your sister. Uh, don't have sex with your wife's sister as long as your wife is alive. And, um, it, you know, and so on and so forth. And so I, th I think that that's why that's not there in the Hebrew, just to point out, because that would give a very different um, reference. And, I, and again, I think this is why this time and again keeps showing that uh, this was written originally in Hebrew and that the, you know, the Greeks kind of altered things around a little. The other thing that I found really interesting that brought a lot more clarity to me in the Hebrew was the idea of the throne. I was waiting for, and I, uh, Michael, if you did touch on this, forgive me. I was wait, I was listening really hard. If you were going to touch on this one point is I always thought it was weird that we would get permission to sit on the father's throne. So this is what it says in the Greek in verse 21 to him that overcometh. Will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am sat down with my father in his throne. So forgive me, it's not our the father's throne we're going to sit in, but it says in the Greek that he's going to give us permission to sit on his throne with him. And I always thought that was a little kind of odd. I didn't really know what to do with that. I'd be like, yay, I get to, you know, sit in your throne. And, and I mean, it's kind of like, no, like, it, it it's your throne. It's good. I'm good. I don't need to sit in it. it it's good. Well, the Hebrew here again reads differently, and I always, well, I always thought too, like, how big is this throne? Right, that we're both, you know, fitting. Obviously, it's, you know, uh, I'm not, you know, <laughs> they always say like, you know, with like tents when you set up a tent, it's and it says like it's a four man tent, and it's like, uh, like two Americans or four Japanese or something like that. So, uh, <laughs> uh, anyways, but it says in the Hebrew, this whosoever overcomes, him will I give. Him will I get to sit with me by my throne, like I overcame and sat down with my father by his throne. Now, again, I could be just this could be a tomato tomato thing. I could be reading this wrong, but it seems to me that Yahushua did not sit in his father's throne. He sat at his right hand in a separate throne, and he's saying that we will not be sitting in his throne, nor will we be sitting in the father's throne. We will be sitting in a separate throne near him. And this is kind of like what we will see uh, maybe the next chapter with the uh, the elders that set out their thrones. You know, they're, they're, they don't sit in Yahushua's throne. They have thrones next to him. And that's kind of the context here. Like, I'm going to give you permission to set up a throne in my council, my divine council, and we're going to 
you know, we're going to come up with stuff together. So that's all I have on this. And you guys, that was epic. Um, I just enjoyed sitting here and listening to all of your research. As you, uh, Rob and Michael, as you guys hammered that out. Did you guys have anything you wanted to add before I handed this over to the group? I lose my voice. So, yeah, I'd love to hear others. <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm finished with anything I I'm, I'm, was going to uh, discuss, so I, um, it's open. All right. Was there anyone in this group that had any observations or thoughts on what we just read and went over? Well, another yeah. great sharing, and that took one hour. So... It did. It, every every week, it works out precisely to uh, one hour per chapter. It's amazing how that works out, but it just does. Yeah, we uh, hope that you maybe have caught something new or see something uh, that may have uh, interest you, or any or if you have any questions on something that we shared that we you would like to talk further on, please. Please uh, open and share. You guys think it? Um, we, these were obviously individual churches, and I know Noel said, you know, seminary talks about these being church ages, which I don't agree with, but. Um, do you guys also believe that, like Noel was saying, that we we can be placed spiritually within these churches? Um, he thinks Ephesus mostly in the Torah crowd. Do you guys agree with that? Anything else to add with within that? Everybody wants to be in Philadelphia. Well, Mike, Michael, I, I'll ask a question for you on Philadelphia. When it's talking about the, the earth being tested and these particular people uh, keeping, keeping the word and not denying his name, uh, and, and then obviously we will see that the assembly of Hasatan will you know, supp do supplication at their feet. But with, with these people, uh, are you? Did you tie anything else into into it with um, uh, the one forty four fitting in with them, or anything tied with the one forty four uh, related to Philadelphia, or do you think that's a, just a total separate entity itself of people, or if, if there's any kind of relationship between them? Um, yeah, I mentioned 144,000 um, a bunch of times. Right. Uh, yeah. Um, that, you know, I'm, o I'm open. I'm open to it because, uh, you know, Yah numbered his people in the Old Testament before war. If Philadelphia is the quote-unquote bride or whatever you want to say, I don't that, – that's more so of the, you know, where he stays with his bride for a year before going off to war, where – you know, Smyrna had nothing wrong with them, but they were courageous, and they um, had to go through tribulation ten days, and 
they could be the soldiers. It's possible that they are the ones who are going to be going off to war, spiritually speaking, while the bride is protected. Um, but, uh, you know, I've mentioned Philadelphia, Philip. Philip was one of seven deacons. It, it means lover of horses or horse lover. Um, he, he was the deacon that listened to what the Spirit said and was raptured and moved to a different part of part um that's you know that's what i would think that um that's philadelphia you know they will be protected during all this they don't have nothing to worry about smyrna has 10 days um yeah but like i said last week dave got me into this i was i was doing this deep study to our presentation and um it kept in my ear about <laughs> you know the post mill worldview and it kind of popped my bubble but so it's been a it's been yeah. six, eight months since I've really studied this out. I just grabbed my old notes um, for for today's discussion. All right. So and I'm no so expert. And no final authority. Right. Right. And I just want to get you, get get your opinion on on the study you did with the prior view and and this this other view. Do you think it could fit either, both views, or do you think that? Uh, it fits one, but obviously it could be cyclical in some type of representation of it. Well, in a sense, I, I'm I'm of the opinion that Yah protects is set apart. Um, right, no matter what, what, what time or age. Like, you know, we we always talk about um, things are cyclical, and I'm a believer in that. But this is just my opinion. I. I if we are in the post mill worldview, that I don't, it's not going to replicate the great tribulation that already happened. That's my opinion. So, but that being said, there's there's patterns throughout the Bible that, you know, his set apart are protected. Um, it's the ones who are causing the going after Babylon, going after the beast system. Those are the ones um, that will be messed with. But uh, and obviously, don't count on that because. Just assuming you're you're part of that <laughs> kind of disqualifies you. So yeah. keep refining yourself, um, and don't don't claim you're you're that. No, not even close. So yeah, and, and one of the challenges I have for uh, the, the this view, and, and this can go to Michael and Noel, is the when we read the prophets. I mean, you, you just list them all and and include Baruch and Esdras and and so forth in the apocryphal. And they're all talking about this 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 day or this end time uh, scenario. I I I'd have to I have to think that they're all not they're all not speaking of the same times. Maybe they're talking about different times, different errors of events that are happening. So it, I think it's possible that we may be missing or grouping them all to a specific, you know, end of days uh, scenario where this could be uh, different, different pieces or different, uh, how would you say, um, resets, so to speak, in the timeline that they're speaking to. I mean, I, it, I think it's something to entertain and think about and then, and then trying to figure out uh, if there is any time markers on them that could be correlated with it. But that, that's just a thought, and I wanted to get your opinions or if you guys have thought about that. Okay, so here a couple things, a couple things to that. One is that, and hopefully this, I'm going to get to maybe specifically what you're talking about, but the way I'm looking at Revelation right now, theoretically, is that it's addressing 
four different stages of human history. One is that we're looking at something immediate that happens, and it only makes sense to me that, you know, the Messiah would come in that generation would see a fulfillment of a lot of stuff. Like, he didn't just come and left and see it 2,000 years, right? Like, he, he showed up, they murdered him, within 40 years, boom, all this stuff goes down. Secondly, we're looking at a, a second time period of the final destruction of Babylon, which I believe that that is a, uh, a separate event from the, and this would go with, um, you know, I, I do believe that there was an Antichrist. I know that that is very impo- unpopular in Torah circles, uh, that, you know, it's just the spirit of Antichrist. I'm sure maybe, Rob, you probably read some of the same books as me, Michael, um, that there are other books around this era that, that speak of a coming Antichrist. I think that there was an Antichrist. I think there was, um, uh, you know, the two prophets arrived. And that this this happens yep. this happens not in I don't I don't I don't think it was Nero I don't think it was you know uh, Vespian or Titus or any of those guys um, I think it would it came I think this person who came has been scrubbed from the history books I think we will never find out who this is in this lifetime uh, but I think that that all happened at a later date within. Generations later, you guys know my timeline, four to five hundred years, about five hundred years later, seven hundred tops. Um, and then and then we get the millennial kingdom, and then of course the, the little season. Um, so that's four different stages. Now, addressing what you were talking about, um, and so so I think that like th- what we've been reading so far up through uh, Revelation 3, this is that generation. He's speaking to that generation. Yahusha is saying, look, I'm coming back real soon. Just like I promised, look, get, on, you know, get your A game on. And you know, I keep talking about A game. I think it's because like, like, I don't feel like I have my A game on tonight. Like, I'm pretty jumbled in my thoughts tonight. But um, so when all these prophets throughout, and this is addressing more specifically, Rob, I think what you brought up. And I... I and I don't have an answer for this. And what you basically said, this is worth looking into. I think this is worth, look, worth looking into that when the prophets, uh, Joel and a- Amos or, you know, any of these guys, are, they're coming forward and they're presenting these, these prophecies of judgment that, you know, the, the sky is going to be darkened, these locusts are going to come and this and that, that they're not basically saying, what they're not saying is, all right, guys, if you don't get your stuff together, uh, this generation 3,000 years from now, they're really going to feel the effects of it. And then those people are like, okay. <laughs> they just like turn the party music back up and get back to drinking and, you know, back to their thing. Yeah, um, right. yeah. And, and so, so one of the ways to think about this is like, if you look at the, uh, the California wildfires that happens, uh, was it three years ago now with the, with the, uh, those you know whatever it was like a you know inside job and the lasers and all that kind of stuff that's a whole discussion but if you were in northern california when those fires were just burying or think of even australia over the last year and this is the, the place is burning down and those fires are bearing in on you and there's smoke and that the sun is blotted out it's dark and there's ashes falling like this is the end of your world everything you knew it's coming to an end and so um, I what I'm saying here is that I think it's worth looking into is that 
that right that all these prophecies that are talking about very familiar language again like locusts stars falling sun moon blood red that kind of stuff that these could be repeated events that happen throughout history so that was kind of a long explanation for that but again that's not what i'm saying is factual but i think it's worth looking into yeah because we we see in in what history that we can look up that there appears to be resets that have taken place and there could have been cataclysmic uh, events happening that were foretold by prophets uh at, in some points in time and and we could you know i just wonder if like each the each of the prophets that speak of these events that we are aware of uh I, you know, I, I just, I, it makes me wonder and think, that I wonder if each one is speaking about a different event that's going to take place and, you know, in the timeline, and let's say there's 12 of the prophets, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, you know, Joe and all of them, and they're all speaking about some future event, and it's, they're all separate ones, but they're all going to happen in different times and different timelines. I, it just makes me wonder about that, that it could very well be possible, but uh, you know, don't know. So James just brought up that he was looking into the historist view of Revelation, and he was looking into that before he came over to this idea that the Millennial Kingdom physically happened. And for anyone, just quickly, because there are people that are going to be listening to this on YouTube, like going, "Like, what are you talking about?" And um. And neither Rob, Michael, or, or I are advocating what we would call the preterist position. Uh, we are not saying that the millennial kingdom, when we talk about post-mill, we are, we are advocating that we are looking into the uh, possibility, and I, I'm at the point where I say probability, that the millennial kingdom physically happened, not spiritually, not metaphorically, that it physically happens on this earth and that um you know long uh, the, the short of it is that history has been scrubbed well well that point you made i think is important and that yeah they they scrubbed even them themselves out so like that you made that if there was an if the antichrist was here why wouldn't they scrub him out that like he would wouldn't appear so even that part has been also we got to realize not just um, his story, Yahusha's story, but their own part when they came back, you know, let out for this end time that they even erased up, you know, like they do today, uh, like the victors, like the so-called victors of war, they rewrite, you know, themselves as these, you know, really good people and such, or they erase what they've done. So that's a great point you made about how they erased a lot of their own, like the Antichrist, probably from before. Yeah. Now, so going back to the historist view here, the idea is is that Revelation is, you know, you could, and someone correct me if I'm wrong on this, but the idea is that you can look at the last 2,000 years of official history, which we are advocating is, for the most part, false. Um, but... It, that you could take the book of Revelation and stretch it out over the last 2,000 years. And this also goes in with the idea that the seven churches are seven church ages. And on this model, most people would say the Church of Philadelphia was like the 1800s into the early 1900s. 
and that we are now inhabiting the Church of Laodicea, which I would at least agree on that, that yes, the Western Church is clearly the Church of Laodicea for the most part. Uh, but that doesn't express every single congregation or church on this earth and all the continents. But if you guys recall a couple of months ago when I did the uh, my video on the 7,000-year timeline deception, and I, I showed the book of Enoch and the, the 10 prophetic weeks from that. Now, what's really interesting about the 10 prophetic weeks is that weeks one through seven are like spot on. Like you look at official history and leading up, up to Yahusha, it, it just, it's spot on. But then where people run into trouble is weeks eight, nine, and 10, because they're trying to, um, to, you know, stick these, you know, like, you know, like puzzle pieces into official history and nothing fits. People start going, well, I think they're talking about landing at Plymouth Rock. Really? Or like, yeah, I think this one is like the Constitution or like the the, the Magna Carta. And it's like, really? Really? Yeah, Enoch's talking about, you know, the, the roots of righteousness is the, is the Declaration of Independence. You know, give me a break, right? And nothing fits. And But if you insert the Millennial Kingdom into into like that thousand year period in there and you're like oh it all fits it all fits perfectly so that's what i'm saying yeah that the historic view of revelation again the i'm giving the long really of a short is it, it doesn't match up i i don't see it it's not there and people try really hard to make the the puzzle pieces fit and they can kind of you know they could do little descriptions here there well, this kind of looks like this and that and oh there's the roman catholic church right there and other oh there's the reformation you know they try to fit that in in revelation but that that's just not it it's it's over complicating it's trying to you know put a square into um uh into a circle and um uh, you know pay a square peg into a round hole and it, it, they're over complicating really what i think is a very very simple book yeah, and, and something to consider is the whole bread and circus idea. The I, I, I could very well see how the narrative is it can be pushed out there on the on Christianity with the whole end times thing, as as R Ronit mentions here, because I it, we see it like consistently week after week if you see or watch certain channels or certain um people sharing things in in the christianity circles it's all about the end times it's it's always something every month every year uh, a lot of fear-mongering a lot of the end times prophecy and timelines and so forth and I, I think they're like perpetuating that and and keeping people entertained in that thinking so that they're not actually researching and doing further uh, uh, research on the other things for truth and also for uh, living living a life of obedience and and also uh, loving Yah and their neighbors. There, it's just like a perpetuous uh, entertainment. That's being pushed out there, you know, so to speak. So I, I, that's kind of how I see some of that. And not to say it's all that, but I, I see people getting caught up in that so much. I see the elite using the Book of Revelation as a um, a the you know a, a blueprints, a you know the game plan. Like they're actually like, for example, I'll give you an example, guys. 
Uh, Babylon falls in an hour. It goes up in smoke, and the merchants sit out on the sea, and they see the smoke rising, and they they cry, you know, woe is Babylon fallen, right? Well, when did we see this happen in history? Rather recently. <gasps> September 11th. The Twin Towers fall within about an hour, you know, of course, controlled demolition. And, you know, they would show the pictures of, you know, Statue of Liberty and, you know, out by the sea and you see the smoke rising. And I say that because when that happened, a lot of you probably know exactly what I'm talking about. I would sit in Bible study, um, sit around with other several dudes, and we'd be like, I think this is from Revelation. I think this is Babylon fallen. And... Uh, you know, and by the way, if there's any capital of the world, it is New York City. That's that's my position. You guys can prove me wrong on that. Uh, New York City is the capital of the the New World Order, again, in my opinion. But we see there where they the elite are mimicking events through controlled demolition that looks very much like the Book of Revelation. And then I haven't even got into the state of Israel yet. So, yeah, and like Michael said, Chernobyl is wormwood. That being said, I want to throw out a Huge disclaimer here, because this is the one thing that really bothers me, particularly from people who listen who maybe don't really understand Torah real well or have it on their heart to be obedient, is that people are like, oh, so the Mark of the Beast already happened, so we don't have to worry about it now. I'm like, what, what do you mean you don't have to worry about it? If, if Let's put it this way. Like, if if a if a situation presents itself that you are you see Yahuwah the Most High on a mountain and there is ascending smoke and flames and there is a golden calf down there, don't bow down and worship it. Just don't don't do it because because like if it didn't work so well for that generation, it's not going to work well for this generation. So you could you could argue if there was a mark of the beast that um, that happens leading up to this event then whatever that was, it would still ring true today. Don't do it, right? Like if something was like, um, you know, a, a, a Nephilim type of thing of, a, you know, of changing a creation, you know, uh, different, you know, piecing different animals together, or, you know, DNA genetic codes that led up to the flood, the corruption of all, of all creation. Don't do it again today, guys. It's that simple, right? So whatever, anything we're reading in here, if, if, if it's like, get out of Babylon, don't take the mark, you know, it can be repeated today, right? Like Satan can, can throw out the same stuff today and, and trick us, don't do it. So enough said on that. Um, yeah, well, like we said, he's already poisoned, poisoned us. But it, and, and another thing, like people, it's not the mark of the beast. So I can, so yeah, as the noose gets tighter around their neck. You know, it's like, but it's not the mark of the beast, as you, as the, you know, the, the cord is pulled. But it's yeah. not the, yeah, it didn't have to be. It's still poison, or still not good for you. Yeah, that goes back to uh, the the great deception. Uh, yeah, if it's not that, and do you let your guard down? Uh, if we know there's a great deception that is going to be taking place. It says, even if it were possible, the very elect would be deceived. And that should really put, put uh, shake the boots of people thinking that even the very elect, you know, if it were possible. So it's going to be a very elect that won't, but that very elect is a small number. So I would be very concerned. Now, now Josh... Um, 
Yeah, go ahead. Okay, so Josh put up a picture here of the um, of the new statue statue they put in front of the UN building in New York City. That's my impression, and a lot of people in the prophetic circles, amazingly, they don't talk about the the European Union much. And if you go to, I think there are capital buildings in Brussels. If you go to the European Union, they have their building is actually a mock-up of the Tower of Babel, like the the popular painting of it. Like they they their building is actually a reconstructed Tower of Babel, and they put out front there like statues of the whore of Babylon, like literally the whore, and they show it on their literature and that kind of stuff. And it's like in your face, and it's like, come on, guys, you know, I, I, there was a time where I thought, see, this is a fulfillment of prophecy. Now I'm just like, okay, they're just like. You know, using revelation here and just trying to smack us with it um, doesn't make it right. It's still evil and all that kind of stuff, but it's just a little too, uh, I don't know, maybe a little bit too obvious. I don't know. Um, I, I just want to talk real quick on, you know, everybody's all about the deception, the, the deceiving. Satan deceives the nations. He He's released for a short time to deceive the nations. If you guys looked into that word deceive, it um, it's literally planeo. And that's where they get planets from. And it's <laughs> the definition is to cause to wonder, to wonder, to lead astray, to deceive. And then you look and you do research on that word, and it it's primarily talking about off the path of Torah. It's it's saying the law is done away with, which is one of my biggest proofs that we are in that short season, is because we are, you know, you read the Bible, everyone knows everybody's all about the law. It's just whether they go worship other gods, they know about Yahuwah. You know, it's just whether they want to come back, right? And first century church, they, they tell them what to do. Hey, go, go, Acts 15, go listen to Moses, preach in the synagogue, do these things. Okay, they accept the law rather easily. Now, everybody fights us. The, the people that that don't like us are quote-unquote believers who are fighting us on the law. They are deceived. They are wandering off the path. So... Uh, that's my dog in the race. That the deception is the law. Is the you know what? And you know what's interesting about that, Michael, is that um, I I've, I actually really fully agree with that description. I'd never thought of it quite in that way, but that that's spot on. And it just occurred to me that one of the big ex- biggest excuses that people bring to us, um, really, when it when it comes down to it, is how could so many generations of people get it wrong? You know, you you peep tore people you think you got it right now but you know they'll look at the reformation and you know all these heroes they have who you know supposedly left the catholic church they actually never did because they're still keeping the the roman uh sabbath and uh, and you know they're, they're obviously going by human tradition and other things like that but part of the part of the deception too is because i you know my position is that the millennial kingdom officially ended sometime around 1800-ish by our count. could be a little earlier, 1776-ish. It could be a little later, 1820-ish. But somewhere around then, and and the the deception is, of course, is that, that the church has been disobedient to the law for the last 2,000 years, right? And, you know, I don't, I don't accept that narrative at all. Yeah. My my position is I'm open and researching this and and digging and digging into it deeper because as we see in in many hidden things you uncover truths um, 
unfortunately we get bits and pieces so we have to piece them together where we can until we can get see a bigger or better picture so i'm definitely open in 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 researching more and more on on the topic so that we can see what what picture we come out with because we know the enemy has has the ability and the control to manipulate our our past the history the data you know the one who controls information has all the power as we 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 know that we know that quote and so forth uh out there knowledge is power so we are all subject to that and we're we're the 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 little menial people going around trying to figure some of those things out where and how we can uh but ultimately we know as i had this discussion with my tour group is the foundation we we have the foundation that of our faith that we walk in and built upon that is the 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 principles and further upon that is is the translations and the understandings and our interpretations that we have open in how we look at the uh, scriptures through those different lenses so we can in turn interpret the things and the data that we are experiencing each and every day so that we are as open-minded as possible so that we do not fall for every and all deception so i think that that is one of the key factors for uh true seekers is to have multiple lenses open uh because if you have a narrow view that and that narrow view keeps you on that that road for many years and suddenly it gets popped or bursts then you you, you you your whole paradigm is just shifted and you and you and you like you could lose your faith so to speak so it's, it's just it's just being careful of that and knowing through all the examples that we have in in scriptures in the old testament and also in some of the apocryphal and, and even extra biblical books that we've i know we've read here and there you see good examples of how the enemy is so well crafted in in his deception. I mean, the deception is so close to the truth, and and it's we just you just have to be very very discerning in prayer, praying for the wisdom and discernment in in each and everything that you come across. So I just want to say that and encourage people on that because as people hear this and and hear our opinions and our theories and views, you know, I I just hope that people don't think that you know we're we're the <laughs> Uh, end all say all on this but it's just us having a, a, a good in-depth conversation on on these topics on these books and and roundtabling it it's the best way to learn uh, no one really learns when they go to a group and you have one teacher and you can't really question the teacher it's, it's best in a group environment where everyone can bring forth uh, great ideas and and sh sharing uh, information that is is going to benefit the group. So I, I get off my soapbox.